Let's uh, start with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we we love you and thank you again, uh, Lord, for the fellowship today, for blessing us. Thank you for this time together. We pray for your blessing on the the class in the back with the kids and and, uh, ask for your blessing out here as well. Ask that you give us all wisdom and and, uh, and learning as we look at your word, Lord. as we consider these things, just open our understanding, we pray. And Lord, we do thank you for making your, yourself and your ways known to us. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the uh, guys out at BDCC enjoyed, of course, they enjoyed the cupcakes and, and uh, also the little cards from the kids. They, they really liked that. So they were blessed, blessed with that. All right, um, what I'm going to do tonight to see, well, I guess I can start with just asking if there are any questions, and then we'll look at this last part on the sheet, the function of Elder. This, this will probably be the last time we use the sheet, I, I suppose. You may want to hang on to it for, for reference sake, but, uh, but I think we're going to uh, be done with kind of using it as a guide tonight. So... Any questions, or even on this morning, if if, uh, you had any questions on this morning, I don't want to overlook that either. Okay, I'm going to go ahead and start on this then, and we'll look at this last section. I believe we pretty well covered uh, qualifications. Okay, the functions of elders. As as the apostate... Apostolic era came to a close. The office of elder emerged as the highest level of local church leadership. Thus, it carried a great amount of responsibility. There was no higher court of appeal and no greater resource to know the mind and heart of God with regard to issues in the church. The primary responsibility of an elder is to serve as a manager and caretaker of the church. And we'll, we'll come back to these uh, scriptures in a moment. Uh, That involves a number of specific duties. As spiritual overseers of the flock, elders are to determine church policy, Acts 15.22, oversee the church, Acts 20.28, ordain others, 1 Timothy 4.14, rule, teach, and preach, 1 Timothy 5.17. And he says compare 1 Thessalonians 5.12 and 1 Timothy 3.2. And exhort and refute, Titus 1.9. And act as shepherds, setting an example for all, 1 Peter 5, 1-3. Those responsibilities put elders at the core of the New Testament church's work. Uh, because of its heritage of democratic values and its long history of congregational church government, modern American evangelical, evangelicalism often views the concept of elder rule with suspicion. The clear teaching of Scripture, however, demonstrates that the biblical norm for church leadership is a plurality of God-ordained elders, and only by following this biblical pattern will the church maximize its fruitfulness to the glory of God. This, by the way, and if you look at that next, it says adopted, adapted from John MacArthur, the master's plan for the church. Um, If you're into that kind of thing, I mean, he's got, he has a, a series, John MacArthur has a series available online that's really good. Um... I don't think of the name of it, but if, I mean, if you Google like church elders, it'll come up. But uh, uh, what is the name of it? Call, I think the name of it's a call to lead. The call to lead, and it's like a 
it's like seven, six or seven sermons um, just dealing with this subject. He's going through First Timothy 3. Uh, and anyway, it's, it's, it's good. Okay. So let's go back to the, the, the section here. Um, as the apostolic era came to a close, the office of elder emerged as the highest level of local church leadership. And as I mentioned a moment ago, that's because the, the apostles were um, out of the picture. And you notice he says uh, level of local church leadership. That's, a, that's, that's acknowledging that there, there's nothing higher. In other words, nobody's over the local church except the local church. They're, they're self-governed. I, I think that's the biblical approach. Now, that's, that's the way Baptists operate. You know, historically, that's a, a Baptist distinctive, but not, not all denominations operate that way, of course. Um, as we talked about before, some churches have... Uh, they see the office of bishop, or, or they make the office of bishop as being different, and so a bishop will be over several, several churches, or you'll have somebody over a region or whatever. Um, but I think the biblical approach is what uh, Baptists have done since the since the beginning of the modern Baptist movement uh, in the 17th century, and that is um, the local church. Local churches are autonomous, so that just means self-ruled, self-governed. So we don't have somebody um, over us. You know, when I when I Tell this, and I don't mean this in any mean way. It's just kind of, it's just kind of funny. But when I was up at Germantown, um, I told them we were going to uh, look at a. We 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 were going through this Sunday school Lifeway Sunday school material, which I used for a little while. I was teaching the Sunday school class course and the adult class, and 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 I used it for a little while. And then I then I told them I had some other material I, I wanted to use, and and I knew they hadn't done that before, so I just kind of explained to them what I was doing. And one of the you know ladies asked, "Is this put out by Lifeway?" And I said, "Well, no, it's not. You know, it's it's." Uh, and I explained to her what it was. Uh, I forget which book it was. Oh no, I, I do remember which book it was. It was it's a uh, uh, it's called Creation to Christ. But anyway, um, and I said no, you know. And she said, "Well, is that going to be okay if we do that?" <laughs> and I, I said, "Yes, ma'am." Nobody over this church tells us what we can or can't do, except Jesus, of course. But but the local church is self-governed, and and uh, that is first and foremost, I would say. Like I said, obviously there are people out there that don't believe this is right, but first and foremost, that's biblical. Um, secondly, it's 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 um, it's it's a Baptist distinctive. Baptists have always recognized it as biblical. It's, so it's so it's referred to a lot of times as a Baptist distinctive because um, Baptist churches are autonomous. Um, so much so that I heard a guy say one time, and he was poking fun, but but he was not a Baptist. Well, he was a former Baptist, and he was poking fun. But he said uh, he said independent Baptist. It, isn't that saying the same thing twice? <laughs> uh, but but anyway, it's it's true, Baptist. Churches are autonomous, and I think that is uh, scriptural. So, so you've got, uh, in terms of local church, there's no higher authority because um, they're autonomous. Um, 
Yeah, um, that's a great question, but it, but it, it has no role in terms of authority. Uh, all the convention is really is is a um, an overblown or an, a, a association. Another thing that Baptists have have in in terms of, of Baptist movement, they've always had associations because they uh, that's you know not scriptural by the way. I mean, in other words, you don't not required to do it, but but um, but I think it's a good idea. Uh, and it's been that way from the start, pretty much. And and that's essentially what the Southern Baptist Convention is, except instead of being in a small geographic area, it is now international. You know, it used to be national, I guess. Now it's international. Um, so, it, it, so it's it's a cooperation. It's just churches cooperating to get things done, like missions. So they, you know, you pool money and you pool other resources. Why we have like uh, places like Lifeway? Because you know, imagine, like at Fillmore Baptist Church. Uh, said, you know what, we, we'd really like to re- publish some r- really good books and, and, and help Christians, you know. Um, well, we're a little short on resources for that. I mean, that's a great goal, but we're a little short on resources for that. But you get $16 million, at least that's the number they, they say, uh, $16 million Baptists pooling their money, and you can have a, uh, an organization like Lifeway. You've got the resources. You can you can you can put people in full time positions who can who can operate. You know that last year in uh, not not last year recent recent years probably the last few years in Nashville Tennessee this was interesting to me you know being former big country music fan or whatever but in in that Lifeways headquartered in Nashville all right in the past few years when they did this hymnal uh, which came out fairly recently. Thought maybe there's one laying here. Anyway, it's the New Baptist Hymnal. They decided to do a whole uh, project, you know, recording all the songs and then recording them in different styles, like old hymns, the hymn style, and then the praise and worship style. Put out all the sheet music and all that kind of thing. Anyway, what I'm getting at, they did the largest project in recorded music history. So um, that, that gives you a little bit of an idea of what, what can happen when you pool resources. And then, I forget the number, uh, something I should know, and I, and I forget, but, but we, we employ missionaries around the world because we pool our resources like that. And, and those missionaries, the, the ones that are employed by the International Mission Board, are full-timers. So, so they don't have to go out and, and look for a job and, and be distracted from their ministry working. Uh, they, they can focus on the ministry. Where if, if we sent a missionary out from this church, which, by the way, would be a good thing. A lot of churches do that, and I'm, that, that's great. But, but you don't have the same resources, so probably you could, you know, what can you do? You, know, you might can give them, okay, we can, we can commit a couple hundred bucks a month or something like that. But you'll have to get down there or wherever it is you're going and find a job, and you know we'll send you a couple hundred bucks a month, and that'll help you out. Maybe you can get some other churches to send you a couple hundred bucks a month. Um, but see, they are able. The, the convention is able to actually employ people. So, so we've got uh, however many thousand missionaries it is uh, right now out there on the field who are full-time employees of the Southern Baptist Conven- of the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So it's an association. It's a, it's a it's a cooperation, and and missions is really the major focus. So 
Um, when I think of the Southern Baptist Convention, I think it's safe to say that's, that's pretty much what it is. It's the cooperative program, which is missions. I mean, that's why it exists. Well, I mean, if he's sir, if he, I mean, there are different missionaries do different things. But if he if he's going to pastor, I mean, that's an elder. But uh, um, they have a little different. Yeah, there's little nuances here and there. Like one one professor that I I took a class under at, at uh, Southern. Of course, I'm doing it online, so I've never met the guy. But he's a fascinating character, though. Uh, but his name's Bruce Carlton. What he did, he would believe it or not, and this is just less than 20, maybe 20 years ago or less than 20 years ago when he went to Cambodia. But he was the first Southern Baptist missionary in Cambodia in the 1990s or whatever it was. But he went over there, and I thought this was really um, good, and, and spent however many years it was, 12, 15 years, whatever it was, came back, and he said, and he can say, and I've heard him say this, I did not start one church in Cambodia. See what what and, and but there but there are like 250 Baptist churches there now that weren't there 20 years ago. So how did he do that? Well, because he he didn't believe that a Westerner ought to be over there pastoring a church. So what he did was go over there and through evangelism, you know, of course, winning people to Jesus by the grace of God, and and then training indigenous pastors. So yes, he would get a like a Bible study group going because you got to. Initiate. I mean, you got you got to uh, uh, evangelize initially, but then f- from from among the people who were being won to the Lord, he would look for those who were um, who desired to be elders and were called to be elders, uh, qualified to be elders, and he would train them, and then they would pastor the church. He he discipled absolutely. So so now there are like two hundred. Baptist churches in Cambodia as a result of his ministry and what God did through him. And uh, he, he, didn't pastor, he doesn't pastor any of them. In fact, he's not there anymore. He's in Oklahoma now teaching. But uh, he was at Southern for a while. Now he's in Oklahoma. Uh, but uh, So they're different, you know. But, you know, he'd be an elder. Yeah, he was teaching over there. But, but sometimes uh, I'm trying to think, you know, like there, there would be situations where uh, Lottie Moon is the famous, although we got to be honest here, Lottie Moon is the, the most famous Southern Baptist missionary period, I guess, all right? Well, she couldn't be considered an elder because that's not biblical. <laughs> but like I said, at the same time, we got to be honest here. There have been women like Lottie Moon who were out in the field begging for men to come to help and couldn't get men to come help. And so uh, they, they weren't there with intentions of, like, pastoring, but they would do, um, you know, Bible studies and things like that, but they didn't have intentions of, you know, I'm going to found a church and pastor this church. You know, they, they just went over there to, to share the gospel, and, and, you know, churches emerged out of that. But, yeah, a lot, her and others that I've read, you know, they would beg for help at times. You know, we need men over here to, to shepherd these churches. Well, 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, anytime they're pastoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Any, if, if, it's, if it's the pastor, that's an elder. Same thing as an elder. Uh, in church planting, some, sometimes you're going to have, um, in other words, sometimes it's not just the elder. Sometimes you're going to have a, a group of people go with them to help them get the ball rolling. So, so you're going to have a mixture of elder and, and then people that are going to be part of the congregation, you know, uh, probably teaching Sunday school and doing all that kind of thing. A lot, a lot of the organized efforts, that's what they do. They, they send out a, whoever's going to be the pastor or like in maybe more than one, you know, a couple of elders, whatever. Um, but they're going to send some people with them. So they've got a base to start with. And then, and then they work from there. And, of course, there's a lot of church planting going on here in our, our own country, as well as other countries, uh, which, which is good. It needs to happen. All right, so, um, so, the, so the local churches are autonomous, so the, so the office of elder is the, the highest level of, of church leadership. Thus, uh, it carried a great amount of responsibility. There was no higher court of appeal and no greater resource to know the mind and heart of God with regard to with regard to issues in the church. There's no there's no pope to go to and say, you know, what's the Bible mean here, right? Every local church has its own body of elders. And and in fact, I mean, you know, you know this, but it's the responsibility of all believers to study to show yourself approved and understand the Scripture, right? But there's, but there's nobody over the local church who's going to say, okay, like, like Paul does in his letters and say, you know, you're doing this right, you're doing this wrong, you know, to, to the church at Ephesus or to the church at, um, at uh, Philippi or wherever it is. There's, there's nobody outside the local church that governs the local church that does that. Like the, the apostles did serve in that function. But, but but we don't have that today, at least not in our. Like Sheila said, there are <laughs> there's some out there that have that. But I, but anyway, that's another that's another story. Okay, in fact, y'all know if you watch, listen to the radio or watch TV, a lot of them like to use the term apostle. I used to hear this guy on the radio, Apostle Lobius Murray. He's coming out of Dallas, but anyway. All right. The primary responsibility of an elder is to serve as a manager and caretaker of the church. So let's look at some of these before we run out of time. 1 Timothy 3.5. And watch the language in, in all of these passages because the language helps with uh, understanding job description. Even the, the titles do, what, the titles we've been talking about, like pastor, shepherd, overseer. They're very helpful in, in, uh, in when it comes to understanding job description. They don't tell us everything, but they but they help. Okay, so First Timothy three, five, and this of course is is uh, embedded in the uh, the list of qualifications that we looked at last week. So this is one of the qualifications for if verse five for if someone does not know how to manage his own household. How will he care for God's church? So what we get out of that in terms of job description is notice the term manage and notice the the phrase care for. So in other words, Paul Paul says if he doesn't know how to manage his own house, the implication is how can he manage the household of God? 
If he can't care for his own house, how will he care for God's church? And then um, the, our sheet here goes on to say that that involves a number of specific duties. As spiritual overseers of the flock, elders are to determine church policy. Now, Acts 15 is lengthy. You can go there. In fact, I'll, I'll read verse 22, but, I mean, you really got to read the whole, the whole account. But they're, they're deciding a major issue. Uh, and this does, the apostles are still here at this time, of course, so um, they're involved with this, or at least they're functioning as elders in the church of Jerusalem, along with Paul representing the, the Greek churches, Gentile churches. So Acts 15:22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. Um, so um, there they're, send, they're sending Paul and Barnabas um, to, uh, to get this issue decided. And, of course, the issue is <clears throat> do Gentiles have to, the policy that he's referring to here, do Gentiles have to um, keep Mosaic law? But you see who's, who's in on the decision there. It seemed good to the apostles, the elders, with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. And, and what they're doing is spreading the word uh, of the, the, uh, the decision of the apostles and elders in uh, Jerusalem. The Gentiles are not required to keep the Mosaic law. So, elders are to determine church policy. Uh, secondly, overs- oversee the church. And we, we've looked at that one quite a bit. Acts 20, 28. That's an that's a important one. Acts 20, 28. This is where Paul's talking to the elders if, uh, from Ephesus, the Ephesian elders. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Notice, by the way, um, that little phrase, because that's important too. The Holy Spirit has made you. <laughs> God, God uses, as He does with many things, He uses uh, what we would think of as normal or ordinary means, but behind it is, is Him making the decision. So, so Paul, for example, you know, and the apostles, they go through appointing elders in every city. Um, he commands Titus to appoint elders in Crete. But the way he words it here, the way Luke words it here, is the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So the Holy Spirit, of course, is behind that, um, raising up men as, as elders in the local churches. So, so the real commission is coming um, from the Holy Spirit. And that's what we were talking about when we were talking about uh, in class from a few moments ago. And I think we mentioned this last week, too. In talking about ordination, what ordination is, is the church affirming what the Holy Spirit is doing. I mean, it's, it's not really, I mean, if you just want to get technical about it, it's not really the church saying, we make this guy an elder, you know. No, it's the church saying, we recognize that God has called this man to be an elder. And, and therefore, uh, we're, we're affirming God's calling. Because he's really the only one uh, that can raise up an elder, just like he's the only one that brings anybody to salvation. All we can do is affirm that. When, when we receive somebody into church membership, 
we're affirming um, their status as a Christian, you know, that God has indeed saved them. Okay. Another function, he ordains others. Um, before we leave Acts, well, this is really going to be an apostle, but let's see. In Acts 14, um, Acts 14, verse 23. This, of course, does involve Paul, but it's Paul and his, his uh, co- co-workers, co-laborers here. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So as they are, as they are establishing churches, it's kind of like this guy I was just talking about in Cambodia. As, as Paul and his company are establishing churches, they are, they are appointing elders. And you know, you remember from our study in Acts, they would spend, uh, Paul would often spend a lot of time in one place. I mean, he's, so when I say establishing a church, I don't mean that he just blew in one day and said, you know, how many people like to have a church? Okay, let's, let's, uh, let's incorporate and get this thing going. And then appoint an elder and blow out of there. Uh, he he would disciple like like we were talking about with a, again with Carlson, uh, Dr. Carlson in Cambodia. He'd come in, preach the gospel, get a church going, uh, get a, a group going. You know, God would save uh, such as should be saved, just just like in uh, in Acts, all those who were called. So he would he would get the church going, and then he would um, appoint elders. So, that, so there, it's Paul and his company. In 1 Timothy 4.14, Do not neglect the gift you have which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So Paul is, is talking to Timothy, who is uh, elder at, at Ephesus, and, um, and he's telling Timothy, Don't neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. So they, they function at, in, in the sense, in, in the way that they ordain others, rule, teach, and preach is the next. And that's same book, 1 Timothy 5. Go to um, chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. So again, you watch the language there. What what do elders do? Okay, rule, and then labor in preaching and teaching. It helps with some, uh, some description. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not, verse 19, um, which we may come back to later. We we had mentioned this in our class a while ago, so I'm going to read it. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So Paul's just giving some guidelines there for um, receiving accusations against an elder. As for those who persist in sin, verse 20, again, elders, as uh, he's talking about elders. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. And that gives you a little bit of the, uh, 
uh, feel of the uh, the responsibility that comes that comes with it as well that we mentioned earlier. Okay, First Thessalonians. Oh wait, we got three two before we leave here. We were just there too. Chapter three, First Timothy three two. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. So I think the um, what he's pointing out there is the uh, yeah over as far as being an overseer. Again, that term is used there. All right, First Thessalonians five twelve. We ask you, brothers, and here of course Paul's writing. To the church at uh, Thessalonica, we ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. So, so there again, you've got similar to what Paul uh, instructed Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.17, worded a little, little differently. But again, and again, the language gives you some insight into the, the function. Um, labor among you. In First Timothy 5, Paul talked about uh, they, they labor in preaching and teaching. They labor among you, are over you in the Lord. In First Timothy 5, he used the term rule. And admonish you, which is going to parallel the next one. Exhort and refute another function. Our functions exhort and refute Titus one nine, and this again is embedded in the um, qualifications. So this this is one of the qualifications that Paul lists. Verse nine, he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine, and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there again, you got you've got some language there that helps with. Understanding job description, um, he's got to he's got to hold firm the trustworthy word. He's got to be true to the gospel. He's he's got to be sound theologically. Um, there's a lot more to it than being sound theologically, but not less. He's got to be sound theologically. Hold firm the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction. So there's another uh, descriptive phrase. What's, what's an elder do? What's a pastor do? Give instruction in sound doctrine. Important. And also to rebuke those who contradict it. So there's, there's another uh, descriptive phrase. And then he gives reasons for that. For there, may, for, for there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. So, um, you know, that's why he's saying you've got to have men in place... Um, who are qualified and uh, equipped to deal with those things. All right. And act as shepherds, 1 Peter 5. Again, very helpful in terms of description, job description. 1 Peter 5, 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, Peter says, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. So there's, that's a descriptive term. Shepherd's where we get our word pastor that we use. Um, and this is the verb form. So he's saying 
So, you know, you can think about it this way. What does a shepherd do? He shepherds, okay? That's what Peter's saying. Shepherd, shepherd the flock of God. Uh, if you're going to be a shepherd, then, then do it. And, and it's really, you know, like a friend of mine, Mike Harris, used to always say, a pastor is somebody who is one. All right? That sounds kind of silly, but, but, but it's, it's true. It's profoundly true. Uh, that's true of any, you know, gifting, calling, or whatever. Um, you know, you, you, uh, God, God creates who you are and your, your gifting, and so that's who you are. Now all the church has to do is, is recognize it. Okay. Leads, feeds, and, and um, cares for. Yeah. Protects, yeah, thank you. Leads, feeds, protects, and care for. Yeah. And you can see in that last passage we looked at um, in, in uh, what was that, uh, Titus 1.9, I'm sorry. In, in Titus 1.9, you, you can see the protect part there. I mean, that's why he refutes um, those who, who uh, contradict and so forth. It's protect the flock. Protect the flock. You know, it's not because... You know, he, he likes to butt heads or, or because um, uh, the intention is not to butt heads with the flock. Uh, although you get wolves in sheep's clothing, obviously, that come in the flock. And, and, uh, and so, so that's what the shepherd is there for, to protect the flock. Uh, that's why, you know, the, the literal shepherds, that's why they carried the, the staff and, and uh, kept watch over the sheep. Okay. So, let's see, where did I leave off? Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. Again, the descriptive, exercising oversight. And, and you see those terms again. That is, he's a shepherd and he's also an overseer. They're, they're synonymous, the same thing. The, the elder, in fact, he uses the term elder in verse 1. The elder, what does he do? He shepherds and he oversees. So, so you can use the nouns interchangeably too. Elder, overseer, shepherd, pastor. Bishop, although, um, don't call me Bishop, please. Um, <laughs> that's, that's another one that gets used a lot. On, <laughs> yeah, just call me Reverend Doctor. That'll be fine. But uh, <laughs> I don't know. There's nothing wrong with Bishop, I guess, but it just, uh, I don't know. People use it, and it just sounds funny to me. I don't know. <laughs> I have to have one of them cone... Yeah, in a cone hat or something. <laughs> and the purple shirt. If you're in the Anglican church, they wear a purple shirt. So that's kind of cool. But <laughs> All right. Let's see. Not under compulsion. In other words, he says shepherd and exercise oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly. And that gets back to, you know, 1 Timothy 3, he says, if a man desire uh, overseership. So, yeah, it should be something that he desires to do that he has a passion for and not not, uh, something that he does, you know, grudgingly, begrudgingly. Um, Not something that he's uh, forced into or just does because he needs the money and it pays good or something like that. No, he needs to to, uh, do it because he loves the Lord and he loves people, loves God's church, and he loves the truth. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. There's the, you know, make money thing. Not for shameful gain, but eagerly. Not domineering over those in your charge. But, and, and this is, we were talking about this in class a while ago. This is where it kind of differs from the world. Uh, there are probably multiple ways that it differs, but 
But in, a lot of times in the world, um, at least in some places, you know, to be a successful leader, you may have to be domineering. But in the, it's, it, this is the church. It's a different kind of leadership. Jesus was even even came as a servant, and and church leadership is servant leadership. So eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but they are again, nevertheless, in your charge, like he says. Okay, so so you got not domineering, but at the same time, you're not domineering over those in your charge. Those, in other words, those that you are responsible for, or that you rule over. To use the the term from uh, from Titus. But being examples to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's Jesus, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, let's see, okay, yeah. So, um, those are some of the, some descriptive, some, some of the descriptions of the functions, responsibilities of the elders. And real quick, I know we're out of time, but I just had one, one more on my, Mind here, so we can make time for that, and we'll be done. Hebrews chapter thirteen, first in verse seven. In verse seven, Hebrews thirteen seven. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. And then skip down to verse seventeen. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your soul. And again, this is very, the language here is very helpful as far as job description, function. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you, or the King James says, would not be that would be unprofitable for you. Um, yes, Amen. That's part of it, and vice versa. But keeping watch, so keeping watch, keeping watch over your souls as those who will give an account. That, that's again where. Greater condemnation. Yeah. Yeah. That one, that one, like this one, um, brings fear and trembling uh, for those for those of us who serve in these positions. Um, that's in in James, I believe. In, in uh, I don't remember the exact verse, but yes, he said he said you should not. There should not be many uh, teachers. In other words, like people shouldn't be just raising themselves up to that because he says you will um, have the greater condemnation. Responsibility, yeah, it's it's yeah because because of what the writer of Hebrews says here, the 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 elder will give an account for the souls under his charge. The Lord um, loves his people, and uh, you know it's just like uh, I mean I know Paul wasn't an elder at the time he was he was lost at the time but but when Paul was persecuting the church and and Jesus met him on the Damascus road, he said, "Why are you persecuting me?" You know, he, he takes it very personal when his church is being harmed. Uh, 
so so he's he requires an account from the, the household stewards, so to speak. Okay, let's see. Did anybody find that? I just now made it to James, but yeah, there you go. Thank you. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, how the ESV puts it. So, you know, and I think he's talking about the same thing there that the writer of Hebrews is saying. You're going to give an account. You're going to give an account. You're going to be, you're going to give an account for, for how you manage the church of God. It is the church of God. Um, in, in Acts 20, where, where we had this phrase, he said, um, Shepherd the, the flock of God over which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Um, and then and he refers to them there as, as God's flock. All right? So um, it's, it's God's house. And, and Jesus is the chief shepherd, uh, the chief steward. So um, he, he, he requires, just like in the parables, you know, you read in the parables, he, he'll use a, you know, a man goes into a far country and he entrusts his land or his goods, you know, to stewards. Well, it's that, that same kind of uh, thing, similar, you know, same kind of structure. Stewards over the household. Okay. I think that's it for tonight. Any questions before we dismiss? All right, let's let's pray and we'll dismiss here. Father, again, we thank you for your word and Lord, thank you for this uh, for this time. Help us in all these things to be diligent and to search the scriptures to see whether these things are so. Hold fast to that which is good. Discard that which is which is not and which is incorrect. Lord, um, may we have your glory in view in all of these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.